Nighttime on Still Waters. This is NB506812, narrowcasting into the night from somewhere on Britain's waterways. Third of February, Wednesday. This morning, the tangled thicket by the pool bristled with starlings. The air flustered and vibrated with wings and energy as a flight of geese cut low, blading across the field. They maintained a tight formation, wingtips almost touching. And the air is filled with a constant movement of sound. Honks and whistles and soft grunts. Gentle rhythms of sounds among the wing song. Vocalizations of lives being lived on the wing. And what are they saying? What is it they feel in their impulse to communicate? To reach out across the span of space to another. To fill the air with communication. And what feelings and needs are they vocalizing? What do the others hear? Warning? Reassurance? Information? Companionship? Stay close. You are needed. What do they feel hearing those soft purrs and snorts carried to them on the wind? Lifted by the songs of their wings. I recede over their fast-turning horizon, Deaf to their language, and so blind to their world. And it seems as if all of my achievements And the great heavy weight of my worries Dissolve between my fingers. Undone by the closed orbit Of their hidden conversation. This is the narrowboat Erica, hunkering down on the edge of a storm. The wind is strengthening, the night is in front of us, but the stove is on and we got good company. So welcome. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you're well. You might pick up from time to time some background noise. That's the stern doors rattling. They're being battered a little bit by a fairly brutal east-northeasterly wind that is driving Storm Darcy across the country. And so yet again, the oscillations continues between cold, rather snowy weather and lots of quite lots of frosts and chilly nights and very, very mild weather. And during this last week, we've had a lot of really warm weather, uh, warm enough just to be out and about in a T-shirt. And we've also had nights of very wetting rain. And there's something rather special about being on a boat in the rain. And I can remember that mum always said that one of the things that she missed most when we moved into a house was missing that sound of rain on the cabin roof. And I'd assumed really that it was partly because 
we lived in a wooden boat with a wooden uh, roof, and the effect possibly wouldn't be quite so pronounced in a boat whose cabin is made of steel. Whether it still is. And this is a recording that I made last Thursday night, and we're just standing in the stern here, um, just actually where I'm sitting, and you can hear the rain bouncing off the roof and off the stern hatch. And I have to agree with Mum, it's wonderful, and it's really lovely sound to go to sleep with tucked in bed listening to the rain washing down outside well I woke this morning to a pretty sharp and penetrating frost ice more than frost really the the ground was still quite uh, damp and soggy but everywhere on every surface there were beads of dew and rainwater that were just frozen into those icy globes that reflect and scatter the sunlight. And now, what is almost weekly occurrence, um, always at the weekend, we're waiting for uh, the next storm to come, and it's coming to us in an easterly direction, bringing with it a, a biting east and or east northeasterly wind earlier tonight at dusk it was almost windless and very still and there always seems to be that silence or that quietness before a storm doesn't there i'm not sure whether it's actually a meteorological phenomenon or whether it's the quietness that we bring into it knowing and anticipating a storm ahead and it's the same sort of quietness that i feel as a wait in a lecture room before the students arrive or before Christmas or, or some big event. And in the gloaming, wreaths of fog began to form and curl over the canal, coalescing with the smoke coming out of the chimneys from the boats and the sky looked brooding in the east. On the 2nd of February, we past Candlemas Day, and according to weather law, it's from that day that the sun's strength grows stronger and stronger, and I posted it on social media, and it obviously struck a chord because there was a lots of comments, and thanks for those. I think we're all looking forward to a stronger sun and warmer days. A number of you are obviously very interested, like me, in the weather and weather conditions, and you've been giving me updates on uh, the weather that you're encountering. And thank you for that, because it's really interesting, and I, I love to hear it. And Alistair Anderson sent me some statistics of the height of the river Ival that are near him, and it shows that how high uh, a lot of our rivers are running at the moment which is making quite challenging conditions for those living on rivers at the moment and constantly having to check and monitor uh, their their moorings and where they're tied up. And he also sent me actually a terrific photograph of a glossy ibis that uh, he saw and spotted. And other listeners have been talking about their connections with wildlife too. 
And I totally agree with our old friend Catherine Noble that connections are possible in even the most unprepossessing places. She and Richard live in the centre of Norwich, uh, close by the cathedral and the cathedral grounds, which are actually quite lovely. Um, but uh, she wrote to me about the otters that they've been watching. And how brilliant's that? Uh, and you must send some pictures, Catherine. And please give us an update on their progress through this next year. The Woodland Wanderer, otherwise known as Mark Dexter, also got in contact with me, and he's the captain of a 46,000-ton passenger ship who, because of the COVID restrictions, is moored, or, as he says, hibernating with six or seven other ships with their skeleton crew outside Tenerife. And he was talking about his routine and how, in many ways, it reflects those shared by us living on the canals in the UK at the moment. And because of this limbo of restricted movement, he really only comes in every few days for interport for essential services and supplies, and then returns to their anchorage outside the port. Mark's pretty used to canals of all sizes. He's cruised in the UK, including the Warwickshire Ring, and the stretches of canals that uh, we are currently located in. And on the other end of the spectrum, he's also gone down the Panama Canal. So it's okay, Mark, I'll keep these coming and you keep enjoying those magnificent sunrises. A really big thank you to the crew of Honor Whim for their endorsement, and I'm seriously considering adopting the Carlsberg of Narrowboat Podcasts as a strapline for these podcasts. Thank you. And also a delayed thanks also to Rona House for leaving a really lovely review on the Facebook page. Thank you. And following last week's episode, where I mentioned the old school logarithm books or log tables, the uh, NB Wannabes contacted me and stirred up a few memories. And they mentioned the mnemonic, silly old Harry chased a horse through the attic. Now, I don't quite remember it, but I do remember having um, some mnemonics for doing the logs. But they then jogged my memory by mentioning Sokotoa. And yeah, I do remember that now. I don't know what it stands for or how to apply it, but that does ring a bell. And it also reminded me of the time that the school purchased a whole load of new logbooks and there were these bright orange covers and everybody was quite excited about having brand spanking new logbooks. I have to admit, and you probably wouldn't be surprised that I preferred the old ones. <laughs> they were all the old doggy in with people's underlinings and they looked kind of had that kind of old feel. These were very 1970s. A while back when some of my students realised that I was alive and also a, um, a sort of teenager and young adult in the 70s and 80s, and they couldn't get over it, you know, how old that was and how what a long time ago it was. But also they thought 
the 70s and 80s were so cool and they were really jealous. And they said, oh, fancy being alive when it, everything was just so cool. And I was like, no, it was the 70s and 80s. It was the most uncool time, the time of mullets and flares and loon pants and things. It's strange how kind of perceptions changed, isn't it? Steve Bullock got in contact and he's aboard the Dutch barge Ophoop van Zegen and um, I don't know how to pronounce it and Steve says he also is not quite sure how to pronounce it um, but apparently it means in hope of blessing or hoping for the best and uh, it's great to hear from you Steve thank you for getting in contact and for some reason we seem to have quite a few listeners in the Norfolk area and one of them is our old friend June Dunn and she dropped me a line on the Facebook page after my reference to the old Moors Almanac and she wrote that her dad had Olmos almanacs every year. And she writes, I too was engrossed in it. The horoscopes and predictions fascinated me. And like you, it was just the right size for tiny hands. And they were, weren't they? There was something about them. And while we're here, can I just touch base with another long-time listener? And that's Meg over in the States. And I totally understand your decision to withdraw for a while from social media and also the need to just find some space and to ground yourself again. And I just want to want to, to check that you're okay and and that you're not being overwhelmed by those dark storm clouds. I hope you're okay, Meg. One of the first lessons we had to learn when moving from land to water was something enigmatically referred to as canal time. Actually, we'd encountered it before we moved. It was as we were buying and sorting surveys and signing contracts. Actually, perhaps in a small way before even that, when we were hopping on and off boats, dreaming and planning and readjusting priorities and what constituted for us the ideal boat. And as we chatted to boaters and brokers, they would smile or laugh and say, Aha! Canal time. Canal time flows at a different rate to landside time. It has a capacity to expand and contract. It's not so linear, not so pitted and disfigured by the human marks of seconds and minutes and hours. And it might be something to do with living life at three or four miles per hour. Or it might be to do with the majority of people using the canals are either on holiday or retired. The conscious decision to step away from being regimented by the pulse of courts or the radioactive decay of cesium. But that is really only half or even a quarter of it. Canal time and the causes of canal time run deeper than that. More organic. Canal time is more a confluence of time streams, an awareness and accommodation that the world comprises 
different timelines of things and lives. It flows with tree time, bird time, sidereal and solar, and even on those tidal reaches, lunar time. It does not attempt to recalculate, regulate, change or adapt them. It flows with the cycles of seasons and the ebb and flow of warmth and cold. And because of this, the body and mind feel in some way better. Canal time functions not so much as a marker of time passing, but as a recognition of those many streams of time, each individual and each outside the capacity of human control. You cannot make water flow faster into a lock. You cannot hurry fresh coals to light on last night's embers. You cannot hurry water into your water tank, just as you cannot hurry a crocus to bloom or old snow to clear, or the river in spate to drop, or the summer constellations to appear. It's an ever-present reminder that things have their own natural course, and attempts to speed or delay are just paths to frustration. Everything flows in its own stream, natural, unhurried. Of course, we could try to speed things up, and the irony is, is that canals and the invention of canals was an attempt to speed up time, save time. The Georgian and Victorian technology of canals, bigger sluices, paddles, weirs, all attempts to expedite the natural flow of water. Flyboats exemplify speed. And I'm reminded of this when I read John Hassel's account, The Tour of the Grand Junction, where for him the canals are, to use a later expression, the white heat of technology, something to be admired and awed. And yet, writing only 60 or so years later, John Hollingshead would look back at this time from his time, the era of the railways, as a time of more leisurely, natural pace of life. But canal time seems to be something slightly other than history or stepping back into history. And it has this capacity to erode and creep back in summed up perfectly in a comment by my old friend Richard Noble when he was writing about his holiday on the Ashby Canal. And he was mentioning how they had to keep their speed really low because in places the water was so shallow. And he wrote, Why go faster? Some others seem to be going somewhere. We were there already. Canal time is perhaps exemplified by my wristwatch. It's not an expensive one in the great scheme of things and as far as wristwatches go, but it was expensive enough to be a real occasion when we bought it eight or so years back. But for some reason, since we've been on the boat, it 
either runs slow or it stops for periods. And at first it worried me, made me feel a bit anxious not having the time right. But now it doesn't bother me at all. And actually in my sight line right now, there are at least four, four clocks. Well, not so necessary clocks, but they're devices with time showing. And each of them is different. And when we first moved aboard permanently, it was something that slightly unnerved me, made me feel a bit uncomfortable. Part of both of our lives are controlled by timetables and schedules. But now I'm much happier with canal time. We have learned that on a canal, canal time always wins. Until I encountered it, I hadn't realised how impatient I had become. If something was not immediate, it must be broken or needed in some way to be fixed. I had grown so used to the artificial, constructed atmosphere of the time imposed by quartz crystal or the seizure matum. Of course, this can create tension. We still need to live to a certain extent by the clock, and there are days ordered by the alarm clock and regular checks of the watch. But the existence of canal time can mean that plans are curtailed, or at least made with an awareness that there might need to be contingencies made. In a recent vlog by the terrific couple who produce the Boating Beyond vlogs, as they explain, when you plan a journey or need to be somewhere, you need a plan A, a plan B and a plan C, and you'll probably need to use all three. I've had to reschedule tutorials as we were running unexpectedly low on fuel. And restrictions of COVID added extra pressure, forcing us to alter plans and routes. But the advantage of canal time is that it remains unfazed. Arrangements may be postponed or even cancelled, but they are met with, usually, a relaxed, no problem. We desperately needed to bring Erica closer to where we lived, because of work. And when lockdown was lifted in June, a window opened, but we were also pretty convinced that that window would be quite short. And just as we were about to bring Erica down, one of the lock gates at the Watford flight failed, effectively shutting off the junction to the Grand Union for an unspecified and possibly lengthy period. We still had a lot to learn about living in canal time. Well, time is moving on, and the night gets darker, and the wind growls fiercer. And so this is NB506812, wishing you the very best of nights. Sleep well. Good night. Temperature outside 3.2 degrees, inside 25 degrees. 
humidity, 95%. Dew point, 2.1 degrees. Wind direction, east-northeast. Wind strength, 15 miles per hour. Barometric pressure, 1006.8, falling. Precipitation, trace. Moon phase, 26.1%, waning crescent. Day length, 9 hours, 25 minutes. Sunset, 1703 Skycasting 736